0: Welcome to Jewelry Artists, where we examine the art and business of making jewelry. Join me for intriguing conversations with jewelry artists who will inform and inspire you. I'm Katie Hacker, your host. My guest today is Mark Nelson. He's a jeweler, and I think it's fair to say he's a master tinkerer. He's the education coordinator at Rio Grande, and we work together on beads, Bubbles, and jewels, and we always had the best time. So I think you'll enjoy listening today as he shares some ideas for customizing your bench and your tools, and also his jewelry journey so far. Hey, Mark, I'm so excited to talk to you today. It's been a while.
1: Yeah, it is, man. It's just super great to hear your voice again.
0: Thanks, you too. We had fun on beads, Bubbles, and jewels back in the day, and now we are still making jewelry. Yeah, we are. So, why don't you start out by telling us a little bit about your training and background as a jeweler.
1: Oh, okay. So, it's one of my favorite stories, actually. So, when I was in undergrad college at Northern Arizona University, I had a—I was going to be an art teacher and teach illustration. Uh, and I had a scholarship, and part of that scholarship is I had to work in the department as a tech. And I ended up in a jewelry lab. And so, like my freshman year, I was, you know, cleaning the jewelry lab. And maintaining it.
0: Oh, okay. Um, th- so you're kind of like a hired hand.
1: Yeah, that's all. I did, just a, just a kind of on-site a maid, essentially. Um, and eventually I had to take my first jewelry class, and me and the professor were, you know, really kind of close. And he said, "You know, Mark, you're kind of good at this." I said, "Thanks." And he said, "You should change your major." And I said, "Okay." Wow. <laughs> and that's how quickly I fell into it. It's just like that spur of the moment, last minute decision. It's like, okay, I'll just change my major. Uh, so I changed my major to jewelry, and never have never looked back. Um, I was lucky enough to get a job at the local mall in Flagstaff, working for a jeweler, uh, and he really taught me how to work at the bench, how to size rings, set stones um working gold and that kind of stuff. And then I would go to my art classes and build my art pieces, work in silver, copper, brass, and that kind of stuff. So that was that was the foundation. That was the start. So
0: Yeah. So you're kind of learning both sides, a commercial the commercial what it takes to be in the commercial business. And also the more kind of esoteric side, huh?
1: Oh, for sure. And you know, and learning at the bench in the mall, those techniques really taught me how to produce my artwork. You know, they don't... My teacher at the time actually didn't really teach you how to file effectively. And I've seen people just kind of like rub the file across the piece of metal like it's a nail file. And when you're working at the bench, your your jeweler boss is going to grab you by the shoulder and go, look, you need to get this done now. <laughs> you can t- right. take you to that file. you need to
0: bang you, this out.
1: Yeah, you can file this in two swipes. So, you know, combining the skills was really, really really lucky for me to get that kind of experience
0: i'll say yeah just all that practice and seeing so many different presentations and how to fix things oh yeah and then um now you're the education coordinator at rio and i know you've been there a long time and that you really worked hard to get the job there
1: yeah, I did. So I've been at Rio Grande for 15 years. And funny thing is, we were living in Lubbock, Texas, and I was working the retail bench. And we knew that we wanted to come home to Albuquerque. And it just so happened at Rio Grande, you know, is in Albuquerque. So the first thing I did, of course, was apply. And I didn't even get a call back. So a year goes by. And my wife says, look, they're hiring for tech support, go apply. And so I did. And I got an interview. And so I started off on the tech team um, and I was there for about eight years. You think you know a lot unless, until you <laughs> sit in the office of the tech team for a week and you have no idea the things that you don't know. You know, I'm sure. It literally took me a year of just listening to them and getting used to how they answer people um, to understand all the things I don't know. You know what I mean?
0: Well, and yeah, for sure. And the questions that people ask. And for people who don't know about the tech team, you might imagine that tech team means what it means in other parts of the world, which is more of an IT orientation. But tech team there mm-hmm. is customers call in with their questions and they may be at the bench and be having a problem. Yeah. And you help.
1: Yeah, it was a team about five is anywhere from five to eleven people. And, that was, that was, and then we covered all parts of the business, you know, from manufacturing to hobbyists. Um, there's a ton of stuff out there. It was, a, it was a learning experience for sure.
0: Did you find yourself learning or applying what you learned in the tech team by answering other people's questions to your own jewelry making?
1: Oh, for sure. You know, because I talked to people all the time and learned something new that was revolutionary. I'm like, oh, I'm going home and doing it that way. You know, um, I'm just, just not only trying to teach and help other people, but I'm learning just as much as anybody. So,
0: Yeah. So what does it mean moving into the education realm?
1: So how that happened was, you know, as part of the the tech team, I was um, offered a chance to teach classes, um, which I'd done before, but not quite in the same way. You know, I taught university classes. So classes that were three months long, you know, now I had to teach the same material in a day or half a day. Um, it's a lot
0: different, isn't it? And, y- and your students are different too.
1: Students were different. Um, content was different, so I had to adjust to that real quick. But loved it. Instantly fell in love with the you know the way we were doing things, and I became tight with the person who was then the education coordinator, um, and she and I worked very closely together for many years on content development, um, scheduling uh, the classes for the year, um, organizing. And revamping the studio for better efficiency and all that. And all more and more of that fell onto me. And eventually I just said, guys, I can't do this and be tech support at the same time. I have to do one or the other. And she needs me a lot, you know? Right. Um, So we did that for a couple of years, uh, she and I. And then um, she eventually retired and I was kind of left doing the whole thing by myself. So. (laughs) That's how Surprise. it goes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to your new role. Right. Well, and I think what's interesting. One of my first experiences with Rio Grande was coming out to Tucson to the Gem Shows, and being actually a demonstrator at the Catalog in Motion, which is a show they used to do there. Oh so, yeah. You know, and they also did um, some education in motion at other trade shows across the country. But now it seems that you're mostly sticking closer to home and having the classes in your own studio there
1: on campus. Right, yeah.
0: I think it's interesting to experiment with all the different ways of delivering that information because people are really hungry to learn.
1: Especially nowadays. I mean, since, well, since the beginning of March, online classes have exploded and people are um, scrambling to find out technically how to do it, you know, with the technology and also how they're going to change their curriculum and things like that. Um, So for me, it's been a very exciting time trying to sit back, watch the changes and and find ways that I can support their efforts. Because that's pretty much what my job is now is supporting other educators. Um, And that's been very, very cool to watch.
0: It's a totally different side of the business from when you, I mean, even though tech support, it's similar. I think when you were coming to it from the education standpoint, it's a little
1: different. A little bit different.
0: Well, let's talk about customizing tools and the workbench. Okay. Because I know you are a master tinkerer and I saw a video of you working in your garage studio. Yeah. Do you have a um a name for it? Garage studio, okay?
1: <laughs> yeah, garage studio is perfect. That's perfect. <laughs> so the funny I got to tell this story to everybody cuz I think it's funny. Yeah. So we buy the house, we move in, and you know my wife says, "Oh, look, we have a garage." come here. I want to show you something. I said, okay, cool. What? She goes, see this line down the middle? Anything to this side is going to get run over by the car. I don't care what you do with that side, but it will not go past this line. (laughs) And to this day, we've been here for 14, 15 years. I make sure nothing goes across that line. And I've had to pack everything into that little space. Um, Oh my gosh.
0: I love her. She's setting boundaries.
1: That's good. Oh, she set that boundary right away. Yeah. It was pretty funny and um That's so great. it's been a, a bit been a challenge to organize everything um but it works it works for me it's the space works for me and it fulfills my needs so um i just have to have a little, little patience so i know that when i need the grinder i'm going to have to move four things out of the way to go get it so
0: yeah do you kind of do you find yourself stacking things
1: oh yeah um, i go is
0: that what you mean by moving things I feel like yeah. I have to constantly shift things around. I have a small space too, and I'm constantly moving something to get to the thing that I need. It's
1: yeah, irritating. for sure. Yeah. Um, one of the inspirations that um, I really look to are actually woodworkers. Um, if you look at how they design their shops, everything is um, foldable and put out of the way. So they might have like a yeah. If you ever do a Google search on on wood shop setups you will get more ideas on how to set up your metal smithing shop than you'll ever want. Um, drawers, you know, um, s- drawers are like cabinets and they slide all the way out with tools and you slide them all the way in. They'll have routing tables that f- are held upside down under the table. And then they can, you can flip them out on top, use them, flip them oh, down. Oh, yes, I have seen under. that. Yeah. But they have such clever ideas. Um, so I've tried to incorporate a few of their ideas into MySpace.
0: How do you tend to work? Are you typically in one place? So you need your things close around you or are you a little more back and forth to different areas?
1: Well, my, my area is so small. It's, I can go from area to area without moving (laughs) really. Um, so, you know, I'll have my main bench, which is my focal point. It'll have my engraving system, microscope, Um, that's where I do all my flex shaft work and stone setting and stuff like that. Just to the right of that, I have an old table, um, that I have set up for soldering. And so that's my little soldering section. Then right behind me, I have a big door. Um, it's a big solid core door that I got from the hardware store and that's my table. And that's my flux table. Everything is in movement. The only thing mounted on that table is my rolling mill. Um, even my bench shear, which is on a corner, that's everything is C clamped down so that when I don't need it, I move it and it's out of the way. So I can really just sit in my chair and spin and be in all three spots at once kind of deal.
0: Yeah. That's very efficient.
1: Well, it has to be.
0: <laughs> <laughs> There's no other choice. Efficiency boy necessity.
1: Right. <laughs> and you don't want to
0: get run over or any of your stuff run over. So
1: that's, I don't mind getting run over. It's my stuff, you know? <laughs>
0: I do. Well, do you have um, something that you're working on now? Or how are you spending your time when you do have studio studio when moments?
1: I, when I do have studio moments? Those yeah. are the few and far between. Um, right now, I found an old bracelet that I made. Was it 2016? About three years ago when I took Jane Redmond's blanking dye class. I had um, made, sh- made a piece actually for the Bees, Bubbles, and Jewels show. And it had broken and is looking pretty horrible. So I'm in the process of refurbishing it. Um, it has a little round turquoise stones in there. And there's they're all sterling. There's like three oval plant panels that are linked together with jump rings. So I had to clean all those up. And then I'm building a new um, band because it used to have a leather strap.
0: Oh, nice.
1: So I'm taking um, some, is it quarter inch? No, it's eighth inch rubber cord. And I'm braiding it. And then I'm making these little end caps to hold them together. And I'm using the rubber cord where the leather used to be. So That's
0: cool. What made you decide to go with leather or with rubber instead of leather?
1: Well, the leather I love, but it breaks down. You know, it mixes with your your skin oils and things like that. And it, it ages. Um, I love how black, 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 black the rubber cord is. And it's flexible. So it'll stretch just a little bit if it needs to. Um, but I wanted to give it some kind of look to it. So I braided it versus yeah, being just a straight, cool. straight black cords, you know? Yeah. So that's, that's a project I'm working on now. And then I have a bunch of samples on my bench. I've really taken to castellated bezels. You, do you know what those are? What do
0: you mean by that? No.
1: So it's a bezel that has notches carved into it. And they're usually typically really thick. Um, a lot of the artists in my neighborhood out here in New Mexico, they're using 12-gauge material for their bezels, you know, two-millimeter-thick two, two millimeter thick stock. And they'll carve these notches into it, so it's almost like a bunch of prongs.
0: Yeah, I can imagine and, now what you're saying. I didn't know that word, though.
1: Yeah, it's called – one of the words is called is castellated. Um, and the guys I'm looking at who are doing it are just masters at it, and I can't figure out how they do it. Um, but the, it's, like, perfect. And so I have seven different samples going, um, trying to get it right. And then when I do, I got to figure
0: perfection.
1: Yeah, (laughs) when I do get it right, man, I got to figure out what to do with them because some of them are in silver. (laughs) So I'll figure something out, though.
0: I know you will. You'll have your (laughs) sketchbook out. You'll be drawing. You'll figure out a way. You talk a lot about um, customizing tools too mm-hmm. in your work, and is that normally born from you're working on something and you realize you don't have what you need, or you have a tool and you want to be able to use it in a different way, or maybe uh,
1: both? Well, one thing that always comes to my mind is what Kate Wolf says: every tool is a new be- is a good beginning. You know, That's no matter good. what you, no matter what you get, you know, it's a good beginning. Um, One of the things I'm kind of proud of how clever I was was I had the old style standard USA built in the USA bench um, that everybody has. And you, know, you buy it for like four hundred. Like bucks the light brown
0: wood, and it yeah, has yeah. drawers along the side, and
1: so that was my first bench. Table. Yeah, and um, one thing I noticed is that I always like to draw at my bench. Or I needed a flat surface to lay out chain and measure it, or um, do a little quick little sketch or take my pieces and lay it out on the flat surface um, so what i did is i took um, a computer keyboard tray and mounted it under my bench so that I, not only did i have the catch tray right underneath that i had this flat surface i could look down upon and manipulate my pieces and put them into place um, and that kind of stuff so that, that's, yeah, that's one of the adaptions idea. i made to my bench so
0: I think that would make it, I think the more things that you add like that, the more you realize what you can add. Oh you yeah. Know, so you see a keyboard tray. Oh yeah. Perfect for my bench. And then, you know, the it kind of grows from there.
1: Yeah. And you have to be a little bit fearless. You know, people, they, they get, you get this expensive piece of equipment, you know, like a bench or something and you're like, I don't want to mess with it. Well, pretty much you're going to have to, you know, um, You're going to have to either raise the bench or lower it or add some knobs here and there. And you just got to make things easy for yourself, you know? And even if you get that brand new pair of pliers and it's not quite doing it what you need it to do, you know, take that sanding disc to it or a grinder and make it work, you know?
0: Ooh, that is scary, but I love this. Yeah. (laughs) It's exciting (laughs) to think about. Yeah. And the funny thing is...
1: you. I was going to say is that the funny thing is, you know, you see all these modifications and then about a year or two later, being at Rio Grande, I see this same product come through as a new item. I'm like, okay, somebody got that idea too, you know?
0: Right. Sometimes they're out in the ether. You know, I think they just, they just happen to come to us. But yeah, you're right about your bench being a blank canvas. And maybe the more benches that you're exposed to also would show you what you can do. Because yeah, I remember when you um, drilled some holes in the one on the set at Beads, Bubbles, and Jewels, everyone was about to lose <laughs> their minds.
1: Right. And so, knowing how to fix things helps too. You know, if, right. you, drill a hole, if you drill a hole in your bench and you do, end up don't liking it, you just take a, a, take a dowel rod and, and glue it into that hole.
0: Oh, that's let, a good idea.
1: Let it cure and then sand it down. No more hole. Oh. Um, so, just so you know that. Yeah, I have see. A lot, Fixer. Yeah, my bench has a lot of those in it.
0: <laughs> um,
1: but one thing that really inspired me is a book by Charles Luton Brain. And I think he partnered with MJSA and Ganoxin. And oh, okay. I think it's called The Bench Book. Um, you, know, you can pretty much buy it anywhere. I think Amazon, Rio, uh, pretty much all the suppliers. Um, and God, this had to been like 2008 or 2009, where he, had a, he did a call for entries and um, he took my idea. I mean, he took a picture of my idea and he put it in the book with us, the keyboard tray. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, That's great. But the book is just full of great ways to modify your space. You know? Um,
0: I'll have to check that out and talk about a creative thinker.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. He's like the best.
0: Yeah. What, um what do you think is a hack that all jewelers should do? You mentioned raising or lowering your bench. That's important.
1: That's one. Um, the first thing that came to my mind when you said hack was um, Kate Wolf taught me this one is that you know you have sanding discs that go into flex shaft. Yeah. So you can take those. So sanding discs eh, are one of the most useful tools for the flex shaft. I mean, you can do so many different things with them, and you can modify those discs in a lot of different ways. One thing that she taught me to do was to um, cut um, like sections out of the disc. Like if you were to take a pizza, you take a pizza pie, and you take some of the slices out. You know, maybe at twelve o'clock, six o'clock, three o'clock, and nine o'clock. You right. take those slices out. You have those gaps, right? Well, when that disc has gaps and you're spinning it, you can see through those gaps, so you can see what you're sanding. So much better. Yeah, it, to see what you're doing as you're doing it is is really cool.
0: Yeah, I think you have a lot more control too, and uh, maybe you, maybe the further along that you, maybe the further along you get in your jewelry making, you wouldn't necessarily need to make notches. I don't know. Do you keep
1: making notches? No. Now? There's uh, there's applications for uh, for both. There's sometimes you would want notches and sometimes you don't. Um, you don't have to ha- always have one or the other. Um, if I was doing something that's really uh, specific or I need to take off just a little bit and I definitely need to see what I'm doing, you know, notches would be a good thing to do. Um, but if I'm just make, turning a masonry nail into a stamp and just grinding it, you know, then I don't need to do that.
0: Not so important. That makes yeah. sense. Hmm. What do you think about chairs and jewelry making? You've probably, probably been on a chairs. lot of different stools and chairs. Do you think that, I mean, for me, I think that's really important because I tend to lean over. Um, I know that n- means I need magnification. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm just We can saying. talk about that too.
1: <laughs> but um, chairs, no, I've always worked in an office chair. Um, so it's, that's always been my go-to thing. I know some jewelers have started to, to work standing up and I'm just not, I'm not there yet. Um I'll do some stuff standing up, but most of my work is done sitting. And, uh, I love the office chair cause it, you know, it adjusts your height for different techniques and different processes. Um, I like to roll around in the shop. Uh, when my shop was bigger, I used to roll around all over the place. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, that's the only thing I've ever known. So really.
0: And one of my favorite techniques that you showed me, um, was using the rolling mill to make textured, textured uh, prints on the metal.
1: Yeah. And I
0: think that's become really popular now and everybody knows about it. But at the time that I saw it, it kind of blew my mind.
1: Uh, I never and then, thought about doing that. And it's, it's been really cool for me to watch this whole process play out, you know, cause it, it used to be just an art school thing, you know, really that's the right. only place you ever did. It was in art school and you, you took feathers and lace and leaves and things like that, things you found and you, sent through the rolling mill to to print them and now everybody is all in on it man you got manufacturers making plates you've got people teaching each other how to etch their own steel to make plates um and coming up with some beautiful designs um and they're they're taking it to a whole new level you know very cool
0: yeah and i think um stamping goes hand in hand in a way because of the you know, because you're creating the textures. I love what people are doing now with stamping. That's come a long way too.
1: Stamping has blown my mind. And, um, you know, you and I have been talking about Prescott and, um, I grew up in Arizona. And so the Southwestern Indian stuff was always around. I mean, it's in everywhere. Right. Right. And all of it was hand stamped and growing up, um, I overlooked it. You know, I, I just like, okay, there it is, you know, big deal. Uh, but recently, like within the last five years, um, it's come to blow my mind um, what they're doing and how they're doing it. Um, we had, Do you um, think
0: it's the variety of stamps that are available or just that people are seeing the possibilities for how to make it I expand? I
1: think it's the possibilities and watching it expand because you almost have two different kind of movements going on. You have the Native American artists who, who have always made their own stamps and their own designs um, out of whatever tools they can find, and then you're having another movement with um, what do they call it an um, intent um, intentions, I guess, is what it's called, where you stamp your intention or use a person's oh, name, you person's name, the word sure. stuff, you know. So there's almost yeah. two different kind of camps going on, um, and to watch the evolution of both um going on at the same time and how much better both are becoming is just amazing truly amazing so we had yeah, um, i think
0: the quality has really just gone through the roof of it people, really has. both of the stamps that are available and people's work uh, you know yeah their uh, abilities attention yeah. to detail yeah
1: i can't stamp a straight word. To save my life, I, I have tried and don't even ask me to try and do something that's curved because it's not going to happen. Um, so I really respect those that can do it. Um, I respect the uh, tool makers that are making tools to make that easier. Um, so yeah, it's been really fun to watch.
0: Yeah, I love Native American jewelry and I've been learning more about it since I've lived here in the Southwest. And I, I like you, didn't realize. I don't think I realized that the amount of skill that it takes to make stamping look good.
1: I didn't, I never did. i truly never you know, did. Appreciate and it, yeah. the
0: patina, the oxidation. I mean, there, there are levels within levels of making it look good.
1: Yeah. And it's definitely a good example of where science meets art, you know, cause when you, when you're making your own chisel or stamp for, you know, stamping out lines work or whatever, there's geometry involved. And I bet you would never find a book somewhere that would draw it out for you at the exact angles. All that stuff is learned, you know. But to get the best stampings, you got to have the right geometry. So.
0: Yeah. And physics when you're ready yeah. to stamp, right? Yep. What little I know about physics comes from George. <laughs> <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> when I was in high school, the one class I, I dropped out of was chemistry. So, by the time I become a bench jeweler, I'm like, damn, I should have taken that class. Because chemistry is everywhere in jewelry making. I mean, if I did not known it's chemistry, true. that would have made my life a lot easier.
0: I don't know. I feel like you've learned what you needed to learn.
1: Yeah, but to know how it works, you know what I mean? Sometimes Why certain need...
0: things go together, you mean?
1: Right, Exactly. You know. Working with masterminds in the business like Jim Binion and others, super smart guys, and they know how things fit. They know how they work together chemically and uh, atomically. I'm like, oh, that's that's how annealing works, you know? So knowing a little bit about the science and the chemistry of the metal really helps you understand the really simple process of annealing.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. And I'm not really kidding about that. I mean, learning a lot about science through jewelry making. I always felt like I was being so sciencey when I would tell my students to work hard in the metal. It's moving the <laughs> molecules closer together, you know. Right, right. And for beaters and um, people who are doing beginning wire wrapping, that is eye opening.
1: Yeah, it's
0: a yeah, lot of fun. it really
1: is. And to really understand how how plastic the metal actually is and why it's that way can really help you do some amazing things that nobody else has yeah. ever done before.
0: Yeah, well, tell us about one of your favorite pieces of jewelry.
1: One of my favorite pieces of jewelry, well, probably the one that always comes to my mind is a custom piece I made in Lubbock, Texas, when I was working the bench. Um, create, I mean, artistically, it was definitely not my style, but it really drove home to me the meaning of jewelry and what it means to people. Uh, a customer had come in with a big box of old jewelry. We're talking chains, old rings, all kinds of stuff. And, um, some of it was diamonds, some of it were colored stones, uh, mostly gold. And, uh, she wanted a, a new piece made from all this family jewelry. And so we sat together and we came up with some sketches and we decided on one where, you know, she was happy with. And I went to work. I had to take everything apart. Um, and make sure that the metal was, was good enough to use, to save all the stones, categories, categorize all the stones so I wouldn't lose them or I needed to have their sizes. And we built this ring, it was a huge ring. So I think it weighed probably close to an ounce of gold. It was, oh it was huge. And uh, parts were pave, parts were bead set, um, or flat set, prong set, all kinds of different setting styles. I think there was a channel set in there somewhere. Um, but it took forever and she was getting worried and I kept reassuring her, you know, I'm working on it. I swear to God. <laughs> and then, um, I finally presented it to her and she, she actually wept. She cried and she goes, oh. this is beautiful, you know, and she hugged me and I really, really touched her, you know? Um, so that's probably my favorite jewelry piece I've made. Um, cause it had the yeah, biggest well- emotional impact that I could see.
0: hmm and such a creative challenge, too.
1: Creatively, yeah. How to do it was was the challenge. Um, artistically, like I said, it's nothing I would have ever designed for myself or just in general. But it that wasn't the point. The point was to make her happy, you know. Yeah. And I did. I and that bet was, she treasures it
0: and her family, I so. too. I
1: hope so. Yeah.
0: Cool. Do you have a favorite gemstone?
1: A gemstone? Um Nothing really faceted, you know, nothing really that's clear and faceted or anything like that. But I do love lapis. Um, mm, lapis, I'm to, so pretty. I'm, yeah, I'm drawn to that every time. And I don't work with it hardly enough. Um, I have just a very small collection, but I reserve those stones for those really special pieces. Problem is, I can never make the special piece that I want to put the stone in. Okay. <laughs> I get like halfway through and I'm like, okay, yeah, no, I got to change the design for this. <laughs> so it has a lot of expensive. After all your was.
0: years at the bench, you didn't learn, Ugh. just go forward.
1: I uh, know I just can't commit, man. I can't put that stone in there. It's like, cause once it's in there, it's, it's in there. It's your you know? favorite. Yeah. So finally, I know I made te- those
0: special treasures.
1: I finally learned techniques where I can I could take them out of a bezel setting if I wanted to. But a lot of times um, I'll put in a temporary setting. I'll figure out a way to set the stone in a way that I can get it out easily, just in case I change my mind.
0: <laughs> really, that's and pretty it, sneaky.
1: Yeah, and it makes it a little easier to put the stone in. So,
0: do you use um, do you use a setting that you know is a, a throwaway, or how do you how do you make it a temporary?
1: Uh, typically, what I'll do is I'll do like a bezel setting uh, or a prong setting that I know that. A, I can bend the prongs back and take the stone oh, out. Okay. Or I'll make the bezel in such a way that it's it's easy to open up. Um, you know, with lapis and turquoise and things like that, um, you have to be careful if you're taking them out of a bezel because you can scratch and damage them. Right. Pretty easily, actually. So if I design a bezel that has maybe some breakaway spots, um, or if it's a castellated bezel that I can bend back fairly easy um, and take that out, I'll use that.
0: Well, I can't wait to see what you make next.
1: Yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) It's always a
0: pleasant surprise. (laughs)
1: Yeah,
0: I did that. (laughs) Good job.
1: Good job, me. (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
0: That's fun. Well, thanks so much, Mark. It was really fun having you on the show today.
1: Well, thanks for having me, man. It was a blast talking to you again.
0: You're welcome. I love catching up.
1: I'll talk to you later, though.
0: Thanks for listening. To see pictures, please check out our show notes, interweave.com slash jewelry-artist-podcast. Jewelry Artist is hosted and produced by me, Katie Hacker. We had help from Tamara Hahnemann and Merle White, a special thanks to the team at Lapidary Journal Jewelry Artist Magazine. Jewelry Artist is an interweave podcast and produced by Golden Peak Media. Our podcast producer is Matthew Talisfor. Tammy Jones is our web editor and Jesse Rodriguez does our marketing. Our executive producer of podcasts is Jared Mayer.